This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. You've heard of Facebook, right? Huge site, over a billion people visiting it every day. But what's it like working there? I talked with Jessica Watson, a product design manager, to find out. I love that we are working on solving problems for, you know, 1.4 billion people every day, um, rather than like a really small subset of the population. So that's the most interesting thing for me. Facebook design, 1.4 billion users and counting. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, HyperAct is looking for a strategic planner in Brooklyn. American University in Washington, D.C. is looking for a web developer. Bandcamp is looking for an editorial designer slash art director. MapZen is looking for a developer community manager. And RevisionPath is looking for both staff writers and feature writers. You can apply for all of these positions on the RevisionPath job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. And if you're looking for more positions, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast. A weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I've got a quick announcement. It's survey time. So, you know, as the show grows and more people find out about it, we conduct audience surveys to learn more about you so we can provide more of what you want and less of what you don't want. You can take our audience survey at provisionpath.com forward slash survey, and everyone who finishes is going to be entered into a drawing to win a $100 Amazon.com gift card. The audience survey closes on April 30th, so you'll hear me mention it a few more times on the show. I'll also make sure to put a link to it in the show notes. Now let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. MailChimp is the best software out there for sending marketing emails, automated messages, and targeted campaigns. Join more than 10 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 600 million emails every day. Sign up today at MailChimp.com. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it. That's where Hover comes in. Hover makes it easy for you to find the domain name that you're looking for and get it up and running with no hassle and no heavy-handed upselling. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code REVISIONPATH and you'll save 10% off your purchase. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So we're still holding steady at 33 patrons. That's for a combined total of $224 per month. Huge thanks again to all the patrons and to everyone that has pledged their support and appreciation for the show. It really, really means a lot. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path, you'll get access to some great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, free Revision Path swag like stickers and t-shirts, a lot of great stuff. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash Revision Path and make that happen. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month, four quarters, that's it. And it's a really great way to support the show on a regular basis. We have a new review here on iTunes. I love reading these, love seeing these. 
This comes from Runny CRG3 and it's titled Great Podcast for Designers. Here's the review. Great platform to showcase designers and their insightful stories. Thanks so much, Runny CRG3. Again, if you want to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, that really means a lot. Uh, five stars, of course. I always appreciate that. And I'll read it right here on the show. All right, now for this week's interview, I'm talking with Kat Veos, a product designer located in the Bay Area in California. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, Maurice. My name is Kat, Kat Veos, and I am a product designer at Pandora in Oakland, California. In addition to being a product designer, I'm also a facilitator in my free time. Uh, I like to do community building events. Now, I know that you sort of mentioned before that you do some UX design I have a question here actually from one of our Patreon patrons, and it's, it's kind of a, a basic question, I think. Jessica Ivins, she asks, how did you make your way into UX design and what has your journey been like? Cool. Great question. So when I went to school, when I went to college, I was a graphic design major and that was like the thing, like that was the design title. That was like the design path at the time. And so that was my journey into design. Actually, my journey into design actually started before that. <laughs> when I was in high school, I was remember I was doing a self-portrait one time, and uh, my like tenth or eleventh grade teacher, art teacher, came by and she's like, "You would be a great designer." And I was like, "What's a designer?" <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't know even that that was a job you could have. And so she was very encouraging of me to follow that path. So that was actually when I was still a teenager. But then I majored in graphic design in college and ended up uh, working in publishing for a number of years after that. And so uh, working in print media, alternative media, and journalism. And so that was how I first got into design. And from there, over the next several years, I also did a lot of work with facilitation, community building, and nonprofit organizations. And then later coming back to do design full-time, UX was a natural marriage of my skill as a visual designer, graphic designer, and also my um, additional training that I had gotten in like experiential facilitation and what I saw as a much more, for me, a much more engaging and holistic way of like going into the process of planning anything for a human being to experience, whether that be in person or whether that be using a, an interface or the internet or an app. Like to me, the process is exactly the same. And so that's how I ended up getting more formally into UX design over the last few years. So what kind of fueled that transition from going from graphic design to something that, I mean, it, it is design in that you are designing, say, a program, you're designing mm -hmm. an experience. How did you sort of make that shift? Did you always sort of have this streak or this passion for community building? Yeah, I did. And it was something that I was doing a lot of in my free time while I was working as a graphic designer. So I was doing a lot of like activism and community building in my town. And I wanted to like try to save the world. <laughs> and so I left my job as a graphic designer because I thought, well, for a lot of things, I wanted to be more engaged with community and actually affecting people's lives. And then I also, I was curious about whether I wanted to be a teacher. And so I did a few things over the next several years to help me, not without having to go back to school full time and get a different degree. I got to try out teaching through like different methods of like service and national service, AmeriCorps. And I was like, nope, don't want to be a teacher, but discovered along the way experiential facilitation. And I was like, this is very much my jam. And so in that way, like you mentioned, program design is it's the same, I think, kind of design thinking that you have to go into it, but 
at that time in my life, it was a more engaging path for me than like sitting at a computer and Photoshop all day. So it was just like much more active and, and I was in like a super like energetic, like let's go out there kind of time in my life. And I wanted to do that full time. And that's how I spent a few years, you know, doing that. What are some of the projects that you've done with a uh, community building? One of them I know that I'm, and we're going to talk about that later, which is the the Bay Area Black Designers Meetup Group. But what are some of the other groups that you have uh, have worked on or have built from the ground up? I don't know if I, I answer the question, but it's not necessarily means I built it from the ground up. I've always been really big into the efficiency of joining forces with people that are already doing work that you okay. resonate with. That's actually like a side note. I think more people need to actually form coalitions with people doing the same work and not like compete with each other by doing the same work separately. Good point. But I linked up with an amazing organization in Seattle called The Power of Hope. And for a number of years, I just led like thousands of hours of like facilitated trainings and programs for youth and adults who wanted to have a greater sense of empowerment and creative expression in their lives. And so we did, gosh, just lots of different programs around community building, creative facilitation, integrating the arts into curriculum, you know, and then creative expression things too. So like poetry, visual art, hip hop, like nature, like there were just a lot of different mediums or subjects matter that we incorporated all kind of arts based. And so those were some of the programs that I was super inspired and super happy to have been a part of and to have been a part of joining as well as leading too. And you're doing an event that's coming up this spring, right? Can you talk about that? Yeah. So um, one of my big things, as you know, as I mentioned, is community and authentic connection. They're, in addition to creativity, those are my driving forces in life. And whenever possible, I am looking for opportunities wherever I am to create community and to provide opportunities for other people to connect in an authentic way. I am an introvert, <laughs> which a lot of people are sometimes surprised by because I'm not shy. A lot of people think being introverted means shy, doesn't. And because of being an introvert, that means that when I'm with people, it's, I really want like to have as real and deep an experience as possible because being with a lot of people sometimes can be energetically draining for me. So to be drained and not feel like I got to connect authentically is really frustrating. And so I'm always looking for ways to like, how can we maximize the time that we have to have like really inspiring, really meaningful connections? And so the event that I'm going to be doing this spring is called End Small Talk. And this is, it's partially facilitated, partially freeform, but very magically put together so that people will have an opportunity to join a space which has been prepared for them and to leave small talk and all of that stuff at the door and come into a safe place where they will have many different prompts and hints and, and invitations to join conversations that are about the things that really matter to us on the inside, whether it's like things that are more like heartfelt or like life experiences, or even just things that like allow people to share their perspective on a topic of either creativity, community, society, in a way that helps people kind of peel back the layers. Because when we're just standing around talking about the weather or like, where are you from? Which is also like a really hard question for a lot of people to answer without <laughs> feeling triggered. And are also like, so where do you work? Like, what do you do? Like, yes, these things are part of who we are. But when we are just going through the motions and like answering these questions over and over again, I know that I feel 
not necessarily fulfilled. And I talk to a lot of other people who say they don't necessarily find those conversations fulfilling. And so one of the things I'm so inspired about is giving people the opportunity to connect in authentic ways. And this is an event that will hopefully provide that chance for everybody who comes to it. (laughs) Nice. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can kind of check out what In Small Talk is all about. The group that I first heard about you from, and actually who other people have recommended you to me from, is the Bay Area Black Designers Meetup Group. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about, I mean, I think it's probably obvious from the name, but talk to me about why you started it and when it started up. Yeah, so this is a meetup group that I started last year because being in the Bay, I would go to a lot of meetups and often either be the only black person in the room or feel like the only black designer around. And despite having been in design for over a decade, I could count on one hand previously how many other black designers I had met or that I had known. And I found that very challenging because it felt, you know, kind of lonely. And you're like, where is everybody? Where, you know, am I the only one here? And I refused to believe that. (laughs) And especially in the Bay Area, I refused to believe that there's only a few of us. And I had met a few people, a few other black designers here, and I did not see a way for us to get together and have community and professional development on a regular basis. And I have a lot of energy for, like I said, like in my free time, because it's my passion, like putting work into making that happen. And so it's kind of like that movie where they said, like, if you build it, they will come. (laughs) All I really needed to do was say like, okay, I know enough people now there's like maybe five or 10 of us, there have to be more. So I'm just going to create the invitation and put it out there and see what the universe gives back. And I did. And now there's, you know, close to 100 members in the group, all Bay Area black designers. So when people say, oh, there's no black designers in the Bay, I'm like, that's not true. I know the names of 100. And it's really awesome. So every month we get together and I put together a different, I wouldn't say curriculum, but like a different plan each time. So sometimes it's about focusing on uh, skill building. Sometimes it's discussion about like portfolio development. Sometimes it's discussion about like, you know, we have conversations about jobs and interviews. The upcoming session that we have next week is going to be kind of a a combination. It's going to be our biggest, most exciting meetup yet. So we're going to have a designer come in and do a walkthrough of her portfolio and talk about her path to design. And then we're going to have a panel with a bunch of black engineers and product managers, because many of the designers are curious to know about what their world is like and how design affects their world. And then after that, we're going to have an overview of a whole bunch of different like wireframing and prototyping tools because there's been some question about that from members as well. So I really want it to be a space where we not only have community and fellowship, but also have a safe place to talk about our professional development and skills that we want to develop or questions that we have. You know, I had lunch the other day with one of the members and she She's kind of in the junior designer role. And she said, you know, one of the things that she loves about coming to the Bay Area Black Designers Meetup is that she knows that no one's going to judge her for not knowing something. Whereas when she would go to other meetups and she'd be like the only black person, it can be hard to admit that, you know, that you don't know something or you ask a question like, I don't know if this is a stupid question. Because as black people, even not just as designers, it's like, When we are the only one in the room, it can be hard to not feel like, well, I guess we have to represent our whole race right now with this one thing we say. And that can be intimidating. And the nice thing about being in a space with all other black designers of all different levels from like 
newbie beginners to like people that have been doing it for 20 years is you have mm-hmm. access to all this expertise and community and nobody is going to judge you for anything that you say. You can admit that you don't know. You can say like you're, you're just wondering something and, and every question is fine and, and you're not going to be assessed, you know, on the color of your skin, but just about like your person, your curiosity, your professional, you know, ambition or, or curiosity. And that's a really, really powerful thing. That's a really beautiful thing also. Yeah. How is kind of the, I mean, I guess just based on what you're saying, I would imagine the reception for that has been pretty good. Yeah, it's been great. Every time we get together, we have new faces, new people joining. We have some people that have been coming almost every single time since the start. When we first started meeting up, we used to just like meet here at my apartment. And then now the group is too big for my apartment. So, we, you know, we meet <laughs> at my office on the weekend. So it's, it's been really great. And I'm looking forward to finding new opportunities for us to connect with designers in other companies who are, have offered to host us and to be guest speakers and all that sort of thing. So there's a lot of really good energy about it. And it's just so fulfilling to see that with a little bit of effort and an invitation, it's yeah. meeting a need for a lot of people. And I no longer feel like I'm the only black designer I know. <laughs> well, no, you you found them. And, and trust me, there are people that I know that are out there in the Bay that ask that question, like, well, where are the black designers? At? I can now point them to you. Yeah. That's great. I can point them to you and point, point them uh, to that group. By chance, do you happen to know Tori, Tori Hargrove at Facebook? Mm-mm, no. I will introduce you to him because I think that what you're doing and what he is doing, he works at, he's a, I think a product design manager at Facebook. I'll try to link you two up because I think that what he's trying to do and what you're doing, especially right there in the, in the same area, perfect match. Awesome. Perfect match. So I will do that. One thing I love about the group is that it is a, an active and engaged group. You have a rule on the on the meetup page. You have two rules on the meetup page, but they they sort of both boil down to you know, if you're a no show to three events, like you're out of here. Well, that like, doesn't mean yeah. Like if you say yes three times to the RSVP and you don't show and you don't call, that's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> and the other rule is that just just attend like at least once a season, at least come to one thing. As a facilitator and as somebody who again is is about having an authentically engaged community that requires people's participation. It doesn't work if people don't participate. And, you know, one of the things that I really believe strongly in, and and, uh, this comes from way back when I was working with youth was like, if we have to be accountable to each other, you know, and we have to trust each other and we have to communicate with each other and it's okay to say, no, I can't make it, but just say it. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. okay to like, or professional to say like, yeah, I'm going to be there. And then there's like peace out and like ghost and like never show multiple mm-hmm. times, especially with the logistical stuff involved with booking spaces. So, so I do ask for that. And I don't think that it's a lot to ask, especially when we're, we're in a group that's about professionalism and, mm-hmm. and about building our careers and relying on each other as supports in that process. I think it's okay. Did you think it sounded kind of harsh? <laughs> The two rules. No, I, I no, I love that. And and that's mainly because I've tried to start similar groups like that here, like in Atlanta, and it just it just fizzled out. How come? Because and like, well, if I try to put that sort of a stipulation, well, I wouldn't say it's a it's a bad stipulation, but it's just, you know, if you're going to to show up, like let us know because it just helps with knowing kind of what's 
the number of people are that you can have. Mm -hmm. And people always thought that that felt too strict, Mm. that they that they should kind of be able to sort of weave in and out. And we have, you know, design and meetup groups here. I don't think any of them have those kinds of rules to them that say, well, you need to attend this many or, or something like that or you're out of the group. It's just sort of almost like a revolving door. And so because of that, you certainly will have your regulars that will always show up. But then it doesn't really, I don't know, it just doesn't really feel like if you're just a new member that your presence is actually really important. Mm. And what I like about the rules that you've sort of stated for the Bay Area Black Designers Group is that, you know, as a new person, your attendance is just as important as someone that has attended maybe the last 10 Mm -hmm. in a row. Mm -hmm. You know, like it puts people's attendance and I think it also puts their level of interest in the group, you know, on the same level and that it feels like this is something that they're invested in. It's not just, oh, I'm a member of this group and then you never show up. Right. But you're actually invested in it because you have these rules that sort of say you need to show up this many times or you're out of the group or if you, you need to RSVP or come to this many events because we're not going to just keep you around just to pad the numbers. Yeah. We want this to be a group that people feel like they're getting something out of. Yes, exactly. That's really important to me is the, you know, the engagement. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, padding the numbers. Like I would rather have, you know, 20 people who are really engaged than a thousand people, but only four people show up to the meetups. You know what I mean? I really want Mm -hmm. it to feel like a community. And when you have that connection and when you have that engagement, that's when I think it gets really vital. And the momentum and energy and what's possible in the group really picks up. And I've seen this all from doing my experiential facilitation work, which is why I do have that as a value. And I do want that to be an important principle of the group that we have. You know, if somebody's not in the meetup, it doesn't mean they're not a black designer. It doesn't mean they're not awesome. They still are. But it just means like this is not something that they want to make a commitment to right now. And that's fine. You know, there's like tons of Facebook groups that, you know, people can join where like they never meet anybody, never talk to Mm -hmm. anybody. You know, we the like lurkers. they lurk around on the on the yeah. thing and they just want to read. That's totally fine. I get that. And there's a place for that. But for this thing, like this is a different kind of engagement, you know. And, you know, I've been a part of other meetup groups where like I remember there was this one I was in that was for like uh, this one. I lived in Seattle and it was like a group that would like go out to eat at like like independent restaurants or something like this. And people like foodies who like to try new things. And that was the first time I encountered a rule like this where they were like, if you RSVP and you do not come, you're out like because we are Mm -hmm. booking seats based on numbers. And if you are not honest and professional with how you RSVP, like, I'm sorry, we cannot trust you. And I was like, oh, okay, like I'm capable of that. Let me just make sure I do that. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. a lot to ask. So, yeah. So, yeah. So I think that's that's good. And the people that we have that have been a part of this for you know, they've been coming for multiple months. Like they definitely tell me, I recently did a survey cause I was planning a bunch of events for 2016 spring. And, um, I sent a survey, you know, cause that's part of doing proper UX is to like talk to your users and be like, right, right. what's working for you? What's not working for you? What would you like to see more of? Tell me how you feel about this, that, and the other. And I got really good feedback from people about the things that they feel are engaging and inviting. And they feel like the requests that I make are like really minimal. It's not that hard. And what the value they get out of it is absolutely worth it, is what they tell me. And so I'm like, well, great. That's really affirming. Thank you. (laughs) So at these meetups, it sounds like it's a number of different types of things that go on. Like, are there speakers? Is there like a networking component 
for each one. So tell me about like a typical event or, or does a typical event exist within the meetup group? Well, like I said, it's different each time. So okay. I would say typically there's always going to be some kind of community building, you know, networking discussion time. So kind of open space for people to be like, I've been thinking about this or I'm wondering about this or like this kind of thing confuses me. What do you guys think? You know, there's always a space for that and a time. And, you know, back in, I think it was October, we just had a whole meetup devoted to that. It was just like the hive mind, like, let's get together and like brain dump, like every question you have, like everything you're wondering, anything you want to know, let's, you know, resource each other to have those conversations. So that was good. And like another meetup that was all focused on prototyping. So people just shared, you know, the prototyping tools that work for them, ones they've tried, ones they have moved away from, the ones they like the most. And then everybody did a prototyping exercise using a new tool to just try it and then report Mm -hmm. back on how did that go building, you know, what you were working on. So that was one. We also had one that was just about UX case studies, like show and tell. So we had different people show their portfolios and walk through an entire project. That was a case study of their UX flow. And, you know, that was one theme. So each time it's a little bit different. And I'm always taking, you know, ideas from members about the things that they want to know. That was a part of my survey, too, is like, tell me the things that you want to know more of. Tell me the things you want to do more of. And, uh, and I find a way to, to build that in. What do you see for the future of the group? More happiness. <laughs> okay. I definitely want to continue to provide opportunities for people to, like I said, give feedback, let me know the kinds of things they're looking for. And let me see really quickly here. I have my file that has all the responses from things because I'm all about like involving the community in the creation of this thing we do together. You know, like I said, I've done a lot of events before and a a part of that is always like asking the people you're with and that are going to be collectively creating this thing together what is important to you? What is a priority? What do you want to do a little bit more of or a lot more of? And what do you not care that we do at all? And what do you need like tomorrow right away? And so it definitely sounds like, you know, the group really is valuing the portfolio show and tells, the tool demos, prototyping stuff together, getting, you know, ideas about how to prepare for interviews and updating their resumes. That kind of thing is really nice. Some members also, you know, when they want to collaborate on a project together, they have the whole community right here that they can say like, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. Is anybody interested? Or would somebody give me feedback on this piece of my website I'm working on? So there's like actively engaged people that are willing to help each other right in the room. So making sure that there's opportunities for that collaboration when people want it is also important. Um, Yeah. So I'd say all of the above. (laughs) Now, I talk to a lot of designers worldwide just through the show but also through you know they'll email me they'll hit me up through slack etc and a lot of the ones here in the states that aren't in big metropolitan areas for example kind of feel like they get left out from that opportunity to meet other designers i think in general let alone other black designers like Mm -hmm. there's there's people that will say well i live in you know the rural south and I don't live in Atlanta or New York or D.C. or the Bay or something. How do I get to meet other designers? For them, how do you think they can start groups similar to what you started with Bay Area Black designers? That's cool. I definitely, you know, my heart goes out to those folks that are really out there and feel like they are the only one where they are. And I guess one thing I know that is possible as well is like with enough 
determination and commitment, people in that situation, I think, can form a community that is even virtual. Like you and me are on Skype right now. And if you and me decided that we were going to work on a project together, we could schedule ourselves into like checking in every two weeks or four weeks and working on a project and sharing things on, you know, with like Trello or something like we have ways to communicate and share things over the internet and over like all of the technology that's available to us and that we work in to help us form connections across distance. Mm -hmm. You know, I have two friends that are, you know, before even starting the meetup group, I had my own personal meetup group (laughs) in a way with Mm -hmm. two other friends of mine who were other black designers, you know, this was two of the people on the one hand I could count of black designers I knew, you know, a year and a half ago, where, you know, Sydney and Reggie, Sydney lives in Seattle. I'm sorry, he just moved to Texas. Sydney lives in Texas, Reggie lives in Seattle, and I live in California. And every month we would make a commitment to check in with each other, to like talk with each other about our plans, like what kinds of things are you doing to like develop your skills, like what kinds of things do you have questions about, is basically you know, our own personal meetup group to support each other from across great distance in different states. And because of Mm -hmm. that dedication to say like, okay, so like every third Friday, we're going to have an hour checking on the phone and we're going to do this. Like we had our own miniature community and like designer meetup, black designer meetup, just Mm -hmm. based on our friendship and our mutual commitment to each other's goals. And so I think that like, if people are for real about wanting that and willing to like, just put the invitation out there, make sure to stay dedicated to that goal, to that schedule. Like you can have it. It's absolutely possible. Do you think that the experiential work that you've done with, with building groups and like building communities, how has that sort of helped you out as a UX designer? I think that there's a lot of overlap between best practices in experiential facilitation and best practices in UX design. So doing community building work, for example, should always involve the people you're going to be serving in the goal setting and agreements about what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And doing research as well with like, what are the things people need? What are the things that we want to, you know, create together, et cetera. And so, I mean, that's just like user research in a different context with a different title. (laughs) And then beyond that, like planning and prototyping an event together, say so it's going to be. So for example, I used to be a part of these experiential eight day camps in the forest. And part of that is not just like finding out like, who are we going to be serving? Who's going to be here? What do we need to do? What are our creative goals, et cetera. But also like involving every member from like volunteer to lead facilitator in like What are some of the things that we have to contribute together? What is everybody's gifts and talents? Like everybody has a way that they can participate. And that to me is is like very similar to also working on a design team and working collaboratively together to create something. And then from there, you know, you prototype, well, I think we should do this in this order, et cetera. And from there, you know, prototyping your ideas, whether it's a wireframe or like a a pencil sketch and you drop it in pop app really quick or something is very similar to like, well, I'm going to do an experiential learning activity that involves improv theater and like social justice. So like you just get a bunch of your friends together and you're like, okay, we're going to play this game, but like, I have to make sure it works right. So like you just play it together to figure out, okay, I need to change this. I need to tweak that. That's the same thing as like prototyping your wireframe and figuring out where like the blind spots are, like this thing's in the wrong place. Nobody saw it. You make it better, you iterate, and then you do it again. 
And after it's done, you do evaluation. You find out, like, how did that go? How did that work? And that's just like research, testing, and development. So to me, it's a natural evolution from doing one type of work to the other. And Mm -hmm. they're equally fun for me because I like that, like, A to Z process. And, And to me, like, there's just a lot of synchronicity and overlap between them. I actually wrote so I actually wrote a medium piece about this. I think it was called like why OKCupid would give experiential facilitation in UX design like a 90% match score or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, like it's about this exact same topic and the skills that are involved and the practices that are involved in doing both kinds of work. They just mm-hmm. have different names and different titles. Let's kind of switch gears here a little bit and talk more about kind of, you know, you as a person. I know we've talked about the the Bay Area Black Designers Group. We've talked about your work with community building and everything. Mm-hmm. Have you had any sort of mentors or anyone that have really helped you out along the way as you've made this journey from, like you say, graphic design to community building to UX to, to what you're doing now? Well, yeah, gosh. I've Mentorship is a really important part of life, I think, and a part of being connected to community, even if it's a tiny community of like two or three people. And I think in each part of my journey, I've been lucky to meet really talented, like dedicated people who were mentors in their own right and mentors just in how they live their life, whether or not we were in like a more like formal kind of mentor role or relationship or whether it was just like by virtue of knowing them and having them as a part of my life, I'm constantly learning from them or it's like mutual that we learn from each other or I'm in a mentorship role with somebody else and they're learning from me. That's just been like an ongoing part of my life for like the last 15 years. That's just, I I can't imagine living without those kinds of relationships and with that kind of intentionality even in how do we support each other as with as much like maximum like dedication, commitment, love as possible. And how do we show up in the world and through our own example, be mentors to others? Who have been some of the people that have helped you out? So, for example, I talked about my two friends that I feel like we have like a really awesome like peer mentorship thing happening. Sydney and Reggie, they're both designers. Within the Bay Area Black Designers Meetup, I feel like people have a really strong mentor relationship with each other. I think that you know, for me to take a step back even further and say like, well, who inspired me to follow this path of creating community in this kind of way? I think it would be the people that I met when I very first started doing experiential facilitation. So people like Peggy Taylor, who was one of the co-founders of The Power of Hope. Charlie Murphy was the other co-founder and they were both like incredibly generous with their knowledge, incredibly generous with their time. And just people who were really like alive with the fire of like, creative community building and wanted to teach everyone they met about how to do this better and how to take this and share it everywhere you go. Because like, that's part of their gift to the world is, is that passion and that dedication to helping other people learn this craft and then like riff on it and remix and take it and do what you want with it. Um, so those were two of my mentors along the way. Um, I would say, Beverly May is somebody that I consider a mentor in UX design. She's the founder of the UX Awards. And I met her here in the Bay a couple years ago at General Assembly. And she's super, you know, she does a lot of really 
amazing things for the UX community, not just through the creation of the UX awards, but also through, you know, the community that grows out of that and the connections that people are able to make when they are a part of that event and go to it. I feel really lucky that like, I feel like the people I have in my friend circle <laughs> are almost like mentors and it doesn't even have to be like about work or about UX, but just about like how to live an awesome life, like how to be a, as awesome of a person as you can. And so I, I just feel lucky that like I go to work and I'm surrounded by people I learn from and that I can teach to and I hang out on the weekend and I have people in my life I learn from that I can teach to. So it's just... For me, I'm a very, like I said, I'm a very intentional person. <laughs> and so I'm constantly looking for ways to create as like rich and juicy interactions and relationships as possible. What advice would you give to someone that's just kind of starting out? I would say starting out in design, but someone that wants to follow in your footsteps and kind of do the things that you've done. What advice would you give them? I would say, you know, never let anything in the past, determine what you think you're capable of in the future and never worry about having to uphold some like predictable journey because there are so many ways to get into design and there are so many different kinds of knowledge that can inform your skill as a designer that like there's no, I think, right or wrong way to get into it. You know, my background is super, I think, wide ranging in the, in the kinds of work I've gotten to do, the kinds of education I have sought out. And in a very like interdisciplinary way, I've gotten to practice design thinking. And all of that, I think, has given me a very unique and very like, like I think about a paint box, you know, like a watercolor box with all the different colors in it. Mm -hmm. I get to draw on all these different kinds of knowledge to inv inform my design thinking and solutions thinking. And if it wasn't for having had all these different kinds of experiences, I wouldn't have that to draw on. So I would say, like, whatever you're curious about, and please stay curious. Like, if you're not asking questions, maybe UX is not the right path for you because you must be, like, continuously curious all the time about not just your users, but about like all the possible ways there are to solve something so that you can get the best solutions possible. Um, so being curious, <laughs> gotta have it. Ask questions all the time. Do as many different kinds of experiences as you can. Learn from as many different angles as you can because you never know where the right metaphor is going to find you that's going to give you some insight you would otherwise not have had. What are you excited about at the moment? Like what about the work that you're doing really has you the most excited? I would say, I mean, in two ways. I'm excited because, you know, the work I'm doing with the community is very fulfilling. And I love to see the ways that people who become a part of it can like also step into leadership on their own. I was having a conversation with a couple of the members of the meetup the other day, and they were thinking of like organizing I don't think it was exactly a hackathon, but it was something where they're like, we want to help, you know, this situation, X, Y, Z, we think we can like put an event together doing this, that, and the other. And I was like, that's dope. That's awesome. Because I am only one person. I do not have the time and bandwidth to do every amazing idea that's possible. But if together we can inspire each other and people can like synergize and be like, let's link up, let's do this together. Then like from there, as a group, we're able to accomplish so much more by 
having each other as resources and by each person stepping into leadership and being like, I'm going to start this thing or I'm going to take on this project or I'm going to try to do this because that's when, I don't know, like that's just when the magic happens. And then it's just like moving on its own. And it's not because like I'm in the driver's seat, but it's like the community is driving the thing forward and it doesn't live inside of any one person or any, you know, it's just, then it's just a part of the world and the people who are members and committed to it are what make it live. And it it just goes so much farther. And that's for me, what's really exciting. And that's the potential that I think is possible. And it's just because I've seen it happen in other communities and other kinds of work. So I, I absolutely know it's possible here too. Do you have any tips for people that say are new to this kind of collaboration or working together, but want to do that in order to kind of further some goals or some things that they want to accomplish? What, what tips would you give them? What do you mean? So like about starting a group similar to this or like, or professional? Well, I'm like, thinking like, yeah. like starting a group or even just like learning to collaborate with people. Are there any sort of things that you picked up from your years of community building that you would, would give as advice there? Hmm. Well, I mean, if somebody's like really, really new to it and they're not really sure how to do it right, if that's like a concern they have, it's like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm doing this right. I would say like start by just participating as much as you can in other events and in other groups that you think are running really well and that are led really well. And just by participating or even volunteering to help make these things happen, you will learn from the people that have been doing it longer or that have skills that you would like to develop, you will learn by watching them. You will learn by asking them questions. You will learn by practicing with them or separate from them. All of those things are, it's education, right? It's like free education. (laughs) And so if somebody is not sure, I would say just jump in, participate, volunteer, ask questions, ask somebody to coffee, say like, hey, can I, you know, I just want to ask you some questions about how you do this, what you recommend, like not be shy to just make an invitation and say like, this is a goal I have. I want to get better at this. or I want to know how to do that. And then just do as much as you can. And that's when it's kind of like that 10,000 hour rule of like, how do you attain mastery at something is like, you just Mm -hmm. have to practice and you have to practice and you have to practice. And eventually you'll feel confident enough or strong enough to be like, all right, I got this. Like, I'm going to do this now and then just go for it. And who cares if you mess up, if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning. So like, sure, you'll mess up and sure you'll be like, oh, that didn't go so well. Or that was kind of like bumpy right there. Now I know for next time, right? So I saw a really cool quote the other day I really liked. It says, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And both of those are winning. Mm. So like, I like that. it's fine. Like be willing to do something like imperfectly. Just try it. If you weren't doing this, like this work that you're doing now, what do you think you would be doing? Do you have any any other passions that you would like to pursue? Oh, wow. There's like a million things I want to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> So you're talking about like, for work or if I was just like getting paid to breathe and I could do what I wanted with my free time. <laughs> anything you want, anything uh, we'll say paid to breathe. We'll do that. If yeah. I was just paid to breathe, what would I want to do? Oh my gosh. I have a little book actually that I keep with all the ideas I have of things I wish I could do if I had like unlimited free time. So there's like books I want to write, like workshops I want to teach, like groups I want to start, like education I want to go get. Like I would be like, I would want to go back to school to like study neuroscience. I would want to teach workshops in like creative expression again. I would want to write books. 
I want to make a video series about how adults form relationships and friendships, not so much relationships like romantically, but I'm very fascinated with this idea of how adults form friendships when they are in new cities or cities where they didn't grow up and already have an entire friend group. So, so now I'm going to go down a long tangent. You got me in the rabbit hole now. So here I go. So I've been in the Bay for a couple of years and almost everybody I meet has either been here for one or two years. <laughs> it's very rare that I meet people that are, have been here their whole life. And so, and so I ask people, so do you have community here? And a lot of people say no. And I ask them, well, like, why do you think that is? Or like, who are your friends here? How did you meet them? And the answer to this question fascinates me. And the answer to the question of how to get people to have more of that sense of community and friendship that they want in a space where there's a ton of people, there's a ton of energy, there's always a ton of really cool things happening. So everybody's got FOMO, doesn't want to miss out. So it creates this like, sometimes this like unwillingness to commit because people are like, well, maybe I'll make plans, but something better might come along. And so they don't commit or like they flake out. And it happens a lot here. I, I've been like casually interviewing people about this. And I actually want to formally do a project about this because despite the reality and the acceptance of it that we have like, okay, people are busy. Okay. People are sometimes flaky. Okay. Like everybody's new and everybody's trying to figure things out. That doesn't take away the human need for connection. That doesn't take away the human need to be really known and seen in a way that often only happens with like your friends that you've had for, you know, the longest amount of time in your life, but you may not always have access to those people, especially if you're a young adult who moves around. So I'm really fascinated with the concept of how adults form friendships after, let's say, after 25, after 30, and up from there even, where and how, what things make it easier and more difficult for people to form friendships, and what are strategies that we can come up with to really develop authentic connections and, like, really deep friendships when we are all short on time and we are all like living in quasi isolated lives <laughs> when mm -hmm. we're like, Oh, people just go to their apartment and they shut the door or they like live in a space where maybe it's not a value when you walk down the street that people say hi to each other. That can be hard if you're like the only one who's like saying hi to people and people don't say hi back, you know? So I, I'm, that sounds like my neighborhood. <laughs> really? How, what is that like for you? Uh, I mean, it's, eh. I usually have my headphones in. So sometimes I don't even, I don't even mention, like, I don't even notice it, but you know, usually when I'm in my apartment complex is when I'm like, well, damn, okay. Nobody speaks over here. And it's usually just, you know, I pass someone on the way to the mailbox. Mm -hmm. Hey, how's it going? You know, just kind of some surly. <laughs> <laughs> How does it make me feel? I don't know. It's, it's, you know, I guess people have to go about their, their regular day. So I know what you mean there. I, I get I certainly get that, particularly the older that you get, the more you just sort of get off in your own little silo because you have, you know, a partner or you've got family or you got kids. You know, it's just your world becomes much more smaller and self-contained. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It does. And I see that happen a lot, especially with my friends who've like, you know, got married or had kids or whatever, which is not my situation. And I think there's also a lot of single people here in the Bay and then, so mm -hmm. it's maybe not their situation. The friends I know who have kids and families, like they tend to hang out with other people who have kids and families or like, 
right, the parents right. of the kid who they have to play date with. So like, I guess those people are going to be my friends, you know, um, yep. <laughs> but it just it matches up. It just matches up. It matches up, but it doesn't always meet the need for everybody else. And I just I have this suspicion that it's not the most fulfilling thing to just walk silently past the surly person at the mailbox and then go home and shut the door. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so I want to, if I had time for like a year to work on a project, I would work on that project. I would like write a book or something about it. We'll see. In the meantime, I'm just going to work on ending small talk. (laughs) Oh, no problem with that. (laughs) With these kind of projects, where do you see yourself? Let's say in the next five years or so, we'll, I would love to see the whole Bay Area Black Designers Meetup thing go nationwide or global because mm-hmm. I feel like there are so many other places that need that type of community where they're at. Mm-hmm. Just putting that out there. Yeah. But, uh, but, but where do you see yourself like in the next five years or so? I would love to still be here in the Bay. I would love to see the way that the group evolves and transforms. And if it does inspire like spinoffs in other cities to you know, link up and start to host their own communities. I think that would be wonderful, you know, with the right people willing to like take on the responsibility of doing this in their free time as their like volunteer work to the community. Like, yes, that's great. Do it. Cause we do need to support each other. And uh, this has been one of the, the coolest ways I've found to not only have that support network, but also meet some really awesome, fun, like groovy people to kick it with. I would love to just continue to be, like I am now, like having the energy and time to keep doing my like side projects, keep doing, you know, experiments, whether it's like interactive workshops, photography, like writing, like I always have to be working on something. Like I just always have to be learning. That's just how I am. And I just want to keep doing that. That's, it's kind of, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, life and designing a life. And that to me is, that's a part of me feeling like I'm living a successful life is like if I'm able to design my experience as a human being to continue to give me experiences of connection, inspiration, creativity, and authenticity, then I, I've won the lottery as far as I can tell. Yeah, that reminds me of something I believe Angelica Ross said it when I interviewed her a while back, but she mentioned how the the great thing about being a designer is that you're really able to design your life mm-hmm. down to probably the smallest detail. And it's something that, yes, it's something I think that we probably all have some capacity to execute on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sort of like you mentioned, being able to take that design skill that you have and use it to affect change in the community or to even just change your own life in, in small ways uh, really helps out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love that. So just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you online? So I'm all over the internet, I'm sure. So the regular places you can imagine. I have my own website and portfolio is up at catvelos.com. It's K-A-T-V as in Victor, E-L-L-O-S.com. And I'm at Twitter, at Catvelos, or Catvelos. I don't get offended if people say it either way because this is American. (laughs) <laughs> sometimes the double L as a Y can be hard for people. So Cat yeah. Velos or Cat Veos is fine at Twitter, LinkedIn, Cat Veos. If anybody in the Bay Area or is going to be in the Bay Area this spring and wants to come to my event, that's at endsmalltalktoday.com. And uh, there's an RSVP form on there, some more information about the event. 
the date is not set yet, but I'm going to be securing that hopefully next week. So that should be updated on the site very, very soon. Yeah. So those are the places people can find me or reach me. Feel free to say hi. Like I said, I'm introverted, but I am not shy and I love talking to people. So introverted, but not shy. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, Kat, thank you so much for coming on the show. I I really like how you, you spoke about how your work with community building and experiential design has, you know, helped you as a UX designer and I know we didn't really go like too, too heavy. And this is partially because you kind of just started at where you're at now, which is at Pandora. So we didn't go too, too heavy into like, well, what's it like working at Pandora? But yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we months. were. It's great, though. I will say that. It's awesome. I'm super <laughs> happy to be there. <laughs> I'm glad that we were able to speak to, to the experience that you have with, with building groups and building coalitions and things like that. Because as designers, I think that's something that is an important skill for us to have to be able to collaborate with people, to be able to to work with people to get things done. I mean, you know, the other saying goes, no man is an island. I mean, yes, some of us kind of do probably work solo and do things here or there, but it also really helps, particularly when we talk about, say, for example, diversity, Mm -hmm. that diversity of thoughts from working with multiple people on a project Mm -hmm. is something that can just take a simple idea and make it, you know, transform into something even greater. I really love what you're doing with uh, Bay Area uh, Black Designers Meetup. I think that is amazing. If I ever make it back out there, I want to be there. I want to I want to see what it's like because it just sounds like such an awesome and affirming type of thing to have, particularly because a lot of diversity talk in the Bay seems to be around tech. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't know if there's a lot around design and the fact that you sort of have this group that is is thriving. It's almost 100 members. You're meeting on a regular basis. It's sort of like you're you're just putting it out there like you're not making some grand gesture or some grand statement or or ranting about it on twitter or medium or anything (laughs) like that you're just like this is the group come and show up here's where we are i think that is amazing i think that is really great so thank you again so much for coming on the show i really do appreciate it thank you thank you and if you ever do make it out to the bay i'd love to have you up to the group and you could be our guest speaker and (laughs) we could that would be dope i would love that that'd be awesome so let me know if you're going to be out here Will do. Thank you so much again for having me on the show. This was a real treat, and I'm really glad we connected. Feel free to reach out anytime. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Kat Feos, and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Kat and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, and Hover. Facebook design works on an enormous and diverse range of interesting problems. No one designs at scale quite like Facebook does, and that scale is only matched by their commitment to giving back to the design community. Learn more about designing at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash design. When it comes to email marketing, MailChimp makes it simple. They have great in-depth reporting, new and improved autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for absolutely free. No contract to no credit card required. Check them out today at MailChimp.com. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domain. Search for a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options across all the domain extensions out there. Ready to get started? Then save 10% off your first purchase by using our promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. 
Make sure, of course, you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. It helps us really move up in those iTunes rankings. I'll read your review right here on the show, just like I did with Runny CRG3. And it really helps the show get new listeners, so it's a, a really great thing to do. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work Revision Path is doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge level started just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.